Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast with your host, Andrew Keel. This is the podcast where you can get the education you need to invest 100% passively in the highly profitable niche of mobile home parks. Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast. This is your host, Andrew Keel. And today we have an amazing guest and Mr. Sam Sells of Wild Mountain Capital. Before we dive in, I want to ask you a real quick favor. Would you mind taking an extra 30 seconds and heading over to iTunes to rate this podcast with five stars? It helps us get more listeners and means the absolute world to me. So thanks for making my day with that five-star review of the show. All right, let's dive in. Sam is a retired U.S. Air Force officer and combat veteran who founded Wild Mountain Holdings in 2018 with his hero dad. The Wild Mountain team has individually owned, invested in, developed, or rehabbed 75 single and multifamily projects and have 60 plus years of commercial and residential real estate experience. Since 2019, the team has syndicated 20 development rehab properties, creating equity growth nearly 2x initial investment in less than two years. Projects include mobile home communities, our favorite, apartment complexes, and self-storage facilities. Sam, welcome to the show. Hey, wonderful. Thank you for uh, inviting me and uh, Andrew, and I'm so happy to, to join. Yeah, man. I think some people may see the uh, the title to this episode and be like, oh my goodness, is this Sam Zell? Is this the <laughs> man, the myth, the legend? So uh, don't be surprised yeah. if some of our listeners are uh, are looking for a, a different Sam. Yeah, no worries. I I, uh, I wish I could say I knew him, but I've certainly read his book and uh, I've taken some inspiration from things that he's done, but yes. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Yeah. Am I being too subtle? I love that. Sam, maybe you can start out by telling us your story and how you ultimately got into manufactured housing. Yeah. So um, back in the early 2000s, I was, you know, had done construction for several years, knew I wanted to go into real estate investing, just you know, it was where I wanted to go, but I decided to go ahead and join the military first and became a firefighter uh, for the Air Force, stationed overseas uh, in Germany. So it was hard to start real estate. I came back and uh, was at stateside and, and with a friend of mine, we just started flipping homes and we did three or four uh, together and, and I deployed and uh, I kept helping them with what I could while I was deployed. And then I started you know, uh, financing funding and putting together kind of the, the deal and then having a good f- friend of mine and brother-in-law do all the construction work down in San Antonio. So we were buying and flipping homes in San Antonio and I was doing stuff with my friend up in Idaho where I was stationed at the time. And uh, it was just great. So early 2000s, uh, you know, doing the single, you know, flips, um, but I was doing two or three at a time and thought, hey, you know, this is pretty good. I like, I like the returns. The crash happened um, at that time, a little hiccup in the real estate world. And, uh, you know, it, it was good. We were still buying at such a low rate that we were, we were just fine. So we converted those into long-term holds and uh, I held a lot of that real estate for, you know, well over a, a decade or so before finally dis- um, disposing of those assets. Uh, but I continued to do that while I was in the military, just kept staying in, um, became an officer, and then spent the last 10, 12 years of my career doing uh, global health. So really, I, I got my master's degree in, in health administration and policy and focused on global health and travel all over Europe, Africa, uh, Asia, working with foreign militaries, helping them develop 
healthcare systems, built, uh, was responsible for building like 10 or 12, 200-bed facilities, 100-bed facilities in uh, West Africa, um, helped do stuff in Sub-Saharan Africa. I will tell you, the development process uh, out out there is much different than it is in the States. You don't have to go get all these permits and everything (laughs) else. You know, you really, we would just go um, to the ambassador and work with the president of the country and say, you know, all right, president, you know, sort of like Johnson at the time where we were at, this is what we want to do. What does your staff think? And and we would come back and then I'd go out and, you know, to the locals and negotiate a location. And, you know, we would clear the area with, you know, (laughs) machetes and then, start to, you know, get these 56 year old bulldozers with people hanging on the side, you know, not a hard hat, you know, or other thing <laughs> anywhere to wow. see, but, uh, and we would just start building and you know, we would go through the schematics with engineers and, and look for source local materials. And so forth. So quite a different aspect. And then at the very end of doing all that, my military career, I was like, you know, I know I'm, I'm getting out soon, and, you know, I always hear stuff like this and I think this, this is impossible, but I had $30,000 saved up in my 401k. Uh, my dad had a little bit of money. And uh, when I say a little bit, like he had $80,000 in his 401k. So very little bit. And we're like, well, we need to go into uh, multifamily investing. Um, and at the time I was the, the project leader for this $64 million re- rehab on a 500 bed uh, facility the largest contingency hospital and the U S contingency hospital in the world. So a wartime hospital and uh, just dramatically, you know, working on this thing, I was traveling. I think I went to Korea five times that year. We were just going all the time. Plus I was doing my work, daytime job. And then at night, uh, sleeping like three or four hours and just working, you know, putting together these, you know, analysis. And my dad and I decided we bought a three plex, three mobile homes, only time I've ever seen a double-decker mobile home. We could talk about that in a different story. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we we picked mobile homes because the cash on cash was just so much higher than anywhere else we could get after. And the barriers to entry were lower. And so um, I'd watched, you know, listen to the podcast. I watched the YouTube video and uh, where the guys talked about you know, his favorite thing to do was to do these mass releases. So I called this guy. We had spent 70 grand of our collective 110 uh, on the first place and got that owner financed. And then he, you know, my dad had just a little bit of money left and I had no money left because I just cashed out my 401k. And uh, we convinced these guys to sell it to us, even though they had full cash offers and we had no money. I didn't know where I was going to come up with 50 grand. And then we settled on a hundred thousand dollars on, um, a master lease with 50,000 going towards the property and 50,000 going into, into the asset itself to rehab it. And so I refinanced the car. I pulled money out of my credit card. I did all those things you should not do. <laughs> but between myself and my dad, we came up with $100,000. We closed on this 42-unit mobile home park that was only making 6000 a month. And then my dad went out there and he just went to work. And that year we pulled out... In the next eight months, we pulled out $130,000 into our pockets. Wow, that's amazing. Um, so wow. just amazing return. And we thought, this is it. There's something <laughs> to this, right? There's something to <laughs> this, yeah. <laughs> well, first off, thank you for your service. I mean, I have the utmost respect. Uh, do you know Charles D. Hart? 
I don't. No. Well, he was another serviceman and he tells a story how, you know, it would be two in the morning and he'd have this radio phone that he's like pulling the antenna out and he's like <laughs> trying to call back because he was doing deals in the U.S. And, you know, just the utmost respect for you guys. That had to be difficult. And, you know, for you guys to still be able to do deals, that's that's pretty awesome. Maybe go back and tell us about 2008. You know, I know a lot of home flippers that got in a lot of trouble back during that time. And you, you know, you said you turned them into long-term holds into, into rentals and you did pretty well. Tell us about that because I mean, that, that's, I think that's rare for a lot of the investors that were active during that time. So we targeted assets that, you know, we, we would just go door to door and knock, you know, and say, Hey, you know, we can do full cash offer, which we couldn't do, or we would like, love to buy your home. Would, could you sell it to us? And this was in downtown San Antonio. So small little homes. Um, and we were picking them up for 50 grand or 60 grand and had a mortgage broker at the time. I'd give him a ring and say, Hey, I, I found another property. And it, and you know, back then lending was easy, just super easy. And so it's like, okay, what do you want? Yeah, sure. I can get that for you. And then, you know, next thing you know, I, I'm buying two houses and I'm, you know, I'm a, you know, E3, E4 in the military has no business buying anything because my <laughs> income is like 1500 bucks a month or something ridiculous, $2,000 a month. I don't know. It was terrible. But somehow, you know, back then you could, you could just buy stuff. It was, you know, you didn't have to show proof of funds. You, you just bought it. And so sure. we were doing these different, you know, things back then to cut down our closing costs because, and you could do like 95% loans and then do like a carpet allowance and so forth. And you can really do these no money down loans with the banks, but you can't really do that with the banks anymore. But there are still ways to do no money down loans. We closed on a $15 million apartment complex with none of our own cash in the deal, which was pretty amazing. I could tell that story a different time, but there's, you know, once you, if you're creative and you understand the rules and the laws, you could do that. So we were, we were good. And so, what happened at 2008 was like contracts that we had for sale just vanished. People wouldn't show up to the closing table. So we had these assets that didn't get sold and we couldn't sell them because nobody could get access to, to lend to loans, you know? And so fortunately we, you know, we bought at 50, we put 20 grand into it and we were selling for 130, you know, it wasn't too difficult to do owner financing for people, which, um, it's just a different way to say I, I rent with a down payment because a lot of those people who own or finance at some point, they just want to leave and you can be a good landlord and say, okay, I'll, I'll take the property back and I'm not going to, you know, thank you for letting me know. And we're going to put it back on the market. You can't really do lease options in Texas very well. So owner finances is, is the same kind of thing um, or rent to owns in Texas very well because of the rules and regulations, but Gotcha. So long story short, it, it worked out for you guys. And, you know, that's fantastic. The, the, the loan broker you had uh, must have really set you up because, and I think the, the type of houses you were going after, that affordable housing type of spot always had a need. So that's, that's, that's very interesting. So tell me this, Sam, what has been the toughest hurdle for you in the mobile home park business? For us in the mobile home park business uh, has been sourcing debt good debt. And we, we have found that certain states, it's much easier to source debt for a mobile home park in the course location, location, location. So if your mobile home park, say we have one in Lubbock, Texas, easy, no problem. One that was in Lampasas, Texas, 
uh, near Colleen, right next door to Colleen, Texas, no problem. We, we, we were able to source debt at 4% um, and they're half fill, full and you know that gives us the equity we needed to continue to do some development and so forth. But if you're talking about a, a park in rural Arkansas, even though the demand is there, it's affordable housing, uh, you can buy a mobile home park just about anywhere in the US and fill it up. Um, at least that's been our experience. Uh, small, small towns, people need housing and, and they'll move into that. The rate of return may be a little bit different. Um, but when you're going to a lender, you know, lenders really like markets. And, and so then you're, you're, you're doing owner finance or other things. And if you don't have a good exit plan with your owner finance or if your owner finance terms are really ugly, uh, you can find yourself in trouble. So tell me what, what type of markets? I know you're from San Antonio, right? What type of markets are you guys buying in? And, and when you look at a market, you know, what's important? You know, if you're going into some of those smaller towns, I agree, you know, smaller parks and smaller towns, you know, can get by. Uh, but what, what, is a, what is a deal that works and what doesn't work? Our first year, we bought 10 properties, uh, 10 mobile home parks, which are, are nine mobile home parks in a, in a storage lot, let's say. We were just buying stuff anywhere, and, and you can, and we we sourced some um, that turned out to be good little places off the beaten trail, but they just they they stay rented and and are these around San Antonio? Are these like in Arkansas and just spread out around the Southwest? Yeah, we have them in six states. <laughs> okay, because we were going after you know where where we could enter, you sure. know where we could buy a mobile home park for you know five hundred thousand dollars or something. Um, and have, you know, 50, 60, 75 units or 75 lots. And so we have uh, properties in uh, Alaska. We have a mobile home park wow. there. Uh, we have Oklahoma, Texas, Arkansas, Missouri, and Tennessee. Very cool. Wow. Alaska of all places. How did that happen? Uh, it was my last duty station. And so oh. you, you always want to go with where you know. And we found this little, you know, three unit um, place, you know, the double decker. Um, but that thing makes us like $2,700 a month. Our bills all together about $750 a month. So we cleared $2,000 a month on that place. It's just like. And it's, you no. said it's three, it's three <laughs> mobile homes. So it's a small park, just three mobile homes. That's it. No expansion wow. capability. The city won't allow it, uh, but it's already there. So huh. These three three homes, we we keep them clean and nice, and you know they rent out for nine hundred to eleven hundred a month each. And are those park owned homes? And maybe I should ask you that. You know, what what's your guys' thought on park owned homes versus tenant owned homes? Uh, it it really uh, depends on your model. Um, if you have the staff uh, or the teammates who can go and and do the work, and then park owned homes will make more money all day long. Because uh, you can rent them. Uh, so, for example, uh, we bought a tenant-owned home for $750 once, right? Tenant said we were idiots because he paid $600 and he just made $150. So we said, okay, thank you. You know, <laughs> we're not going to argue with you. We're, we're really dumb. I'm sorry. And then, you know, he moved out and we rented it out for, you know, $600 a month. And so we made our money back in a month and a quarter um, and then the rest of it was just cash flow. So, you know, if you're just if you're going to hold on to those things, those things will last for 40 years. Um, you have control of that asset, right? You can clean it up if the tenant messes it up. You can 
do insurance on it for 15 or $10 a month. Um, and if you own the homes and you want to get rid of them and bring in nice new homes, you own the asset. Now, if they're all park owned or they're all tenant owned homes, uh, then you're going to have to go through some kind of eviction process to evict, you know, a 1950s mobile home that hasn't ever been cleaned since the early 1950s. <laughs> and it's got pigs running around outside and snakes that live underneath it and 16 dogs that are inside. And, you know, if you buy that park and you buy that home or you don't own that home, you're, it's difficult to get them off. So I would say when you first buy a park, it's great to have park owned homes. And then if you don't want those ugly homes, sell them to somebody else and move them away, make some return off of that, and then bring in nice brand new homes. Yeah, I with our model, we like the tenant-owned home model. So I, I can mm -hmm. see, you know, in some markets where like we just bought a property in Bismarck, North Dakota, and you know, a, a three-bedroom rents out just straight rental for like $12.50 a month. You know, so I can see where that makes sense. But like you said earlier, it really depends on the staff and the you know, the, the operation that you have, you know, personally, I prefer tenant owned homes, easier to scale, you know, to get, you know, uh, volume, you know, over a couple thousand lots, you're going to, you're going to want tenant owned homes. But I, I think there's some people out there. I know we had Todd Sellinger on the podcast and he likes the park owned home model as well. So I always like to ask just to kind of get the, get the, the baseline kind of knowledge of that. So do you, yeah, how do you definitely more work? Definitely, <laughs> more, definitely work. more work. Yeah, yeah, definitely more work for sure. And you know, I think that the big problem, especially right now that we've seen just because we get some of the, some of the homes back and then we have to like fix them up and then resell them is that, you know, with, with the supply shortages and people forget mm -hmm. that mobile homes don't have the same materials that our single family house has, you know, the drywalls are different size, the doors are different sizes, the windows are special. So Everything is more expensive, especially right now, because of the logistics costs. You know, you're going to have to yes. order these windows and doors from, you know, Colorado or from wherever. And to get them transported is what's really expensive right now. So that's why the park owned home model to me, you know, you can't just go to Home Depot and replace the window. No, you're going to have to special order this stuff and it's expensive. So it is. And you're like, why am I paying extra for this thing? But it's because it's not mass produced and exactly, you know, it's just, yeah. And the faucets, everything's different, but so tell me about your management, Sam, do you guys have your own management company or do you use a third party to manage these? Yeah. So we, we tried to do third party in the beginning and that didn't really work out. So we ended up building our own property management company um, who now has, you know, 30 employees or so. Um, which is really just park managers across the, the machine, plus maintenance folks and, you know, so forth. The actual staff in our office, we have three uh, people in the office who are able to, to handle that load. But, you know, the. That's a common theme, you know, where yeah. we tried third party, didn't go as planned, had to build it out. And from experience, I know that that's uh, it's easier said than done, you know, to build out that infrastructure is, is quite tough. It is quite tough, particularly when you're in multiple States. And so you also don't get the, you know, if you're in multiple States, you, you can't operate a property management company outside of your own property. And so you have to own what you're renting so that you can, you know, fall under the correct rules. You're not breaking stuff. And then if not, you need to get a broker in that state who's a license, and then you can branch out from managing your own property to managing other people's properties. 
I mean, we've done that in some states. We have three states now with uh, brokers licenses and their own property management companies inside of that state. And we're scaling in that way, but it's that's a long road and, and difficult road if you if you want to go down it. It is. Yeah, we explored last year managing for other people. And we just decided it's not worth it. It's, it's too much work yeah. to, to do that. It's a, it's a ton of work and there's not a ton of money. You're not going to get rich from property management. No. Yeah, definitely not. Ownership, equity. That's where you get. For sure. That's where you make your money. Tell me this, Sam. What are the most important things passive investors, you know, we're talking limited partners here. What do they need to look out for when investing into mobile home parks? We, we've learned uh, quite a few things. And one of the things that we've learned is that uh, mobile home parks uh, really kind of attract the best of us and the worst of us. They attract investors like yourself, Andrew, who want to make a difference, who want to target affordable housing, want to create uh, clean, safe places for people to live, uh, change communities. The poor will have with us always, right? So we want to make a difference. And so if you're going to invest with somebody, and you should, particularly at the beginning, I recommend partnering before trying to start your own thing, work with somebody else, be a co-GP, be a, you know, an employee somewhere where you're going to learn the intricacies of this stuff before you go suffer all the brain damage that I did. And I'm sure you suffered a lot of brain damage as well in the beginning. You want to invest with people who their mindset's right, their team is right, and understand that things are going to go wrong, particularly in mobile home parks, right? Some guy's walking around in the back with the crossbow on his on his back and a machete in his hand. And you're like, what in the world is happening right now? Right. <laughs> and so, you know, somebody's got to go solve that and they can't just freak out and you know, I'm leaving. And, and if if you as an investor, if if you want to be all engaged, you need to understand that these are not pretty assets. We're going to create them and make them into pretty assets, uh, but it's going to be a bumpy ride to get there. Um, so invest with a team that can handle that. I mean, even if you don't want to handle that, I mean, that's why we're passive investors. It's because we don't want to handle all that stuff. But invest with a team who's confident and can get after it. There's a lot of people who are uh, unscrupulous in this in mobile home parks because they know they can take advantage of people. Um, they will not invest a single penny into that property. Um, and we like to buy properties from them uh, because it turns out to be a great deal for us. But you know, just really think about who, you know, do your own due diligence with your operator um, and determine who they are as, as human beings and if they're the right type of human beings. If you don't care and all you want is, is money, um, then, you know, just see if they have a good track record. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Because there's, there's people that go in and, and milk these things for every penny and don't reinvest in them. And like you said earlier, we like to buy from those people because they're leaving money on the table. You know, mm -hmm. that's one of the big things I believe is that there's a win-win here, you know, because when we improve these properties and put money into them, we get better financing. You know, Fannie Mae right. doesn't loan on just any property. No, there, there needs to be off-street parking. There's requirements that they have that they want to see. So I, I think it's taking the higher road is, is much better long-term for both the investors and for the tenants. And for everybody involved. So I agree with you there. Sam, Absolutely. what's the perfect mobile home park look like in your eyes and why? Uh, I guess it depends what you're talking about. If you're talking about from an acquisition, it's ugly. You drive in, it looks like a tornado went through there, but there was no tornado. 
And there, you have some good 1990s, 2000s assets, but it's just not really well managed. The infrastructure is there or can be there without too much difficulty. And it's a, a mom and pop owned um, that they just ran out of cash, right? Or some operators take them, get them from super, super ugly into decent, and then they run out of cash and, and they need, need to sell it. And you come in with new cash and take it to the next step and the next level. Um, so there's different entry points now from an operational standpoint. The perfect mobile home park looks like, you know, 75, 50, 75, 100 lots or more, you know, 95% full, you know, homes, clean, pads are nice, good yards, playground, um, all those things where people can have just a great community. Uh, and love to live there. Awesome. Yeah, I always like to see where operators take that question. And a lot of them, you'd be surprised, a lot of them start with, you know, that fixer-upper, right? Like, what's whatever the park needs to look like to get the investors a good return, that's the perfect mobile home park. And others are like, oh, we want 100 lots, private utilities, you know, 95% full, you know, the, the less value add, but more of the, the kind of stable asset. So, mm-hmm. interesting. Uh, let me ask you this, Sam, what mistakes have you made? Or you know, maybe you could just share one or two with us of you know, lessons that could save the next operator. Uh, yes, I think I've made all the mistakes. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, so number one, um, you know, it, partner with somebody in the beginning if you can, um, or start small. Uh, you can buy a single park and, you know, that second park that we did, and we made a lot of money off of that property and the community was doing well and was cleaned up. You know, we stopped and thought, do we want to stop here or do we want to grow? Because now my dad and I are making enough money that he could retire and I could retire and we would be just fine, you know? Um, But we decided to grow. And then If you want to grow and you want to build something really larger than yourself and your your team or your family, it's going to take a dramatic amount of work and long days, long hours. I would partner with people who can help, join a mastermind or, or other group, listen to podcasts like yours, Andrew, and learn every minute of every day that you can. Um, because... There's folks like myself um, and like you who've made tons and tons of mistakes and are happy to tell you, don't do that. Don't partner with a dentist who thinks everything wrong is a cavity that's got to be rooted out, you know, and drilled and, you know, and it's terrible. And the, the sky is ending because the previous owner buried a septic tank in the back somewhere. Right. And you didn't find out during your due diligence. Like, well, I don't dig holes in my due diligence. But we found this as a lie. Let's just deal with it and we'll move on. And, you know, they're going to say, you're a liar because you said the park was good. And you're like, it is good. <laughs> but, you know, there's, yeah, you know, sorry, it's sharing past uh, transgressions, I guess. But, you know, we learn from these, these mistakes and we're happy to help others avoid them. Um, partnering with the right people is a huge thing. Don't have people invest passively unless you're going to follow the Security and Exchange Commission rules and regulations. Don't go to jail. Uh, make it better than where you found it um, and hire competent legal advice. I think that's really good advice. 
That was, that was very powerful. That was the episode golden nuggets right there. Uh, <laughs> Sam, what's the value proposition at Wild Mountain Capital and what makes you guys different? A few different things. We, we are always happy to partner with others. We love um, helping grow uh, new companies and we've done that uh, a number of times. Help people go from you know two hundred thousand dollar assets, and now we're buying a couple million dollar assets and helping them learn how to structure that and do that and what their role is and so forth. Always happy to do that. Our focus really is, you know, that comes back from my days of being global health uh, security. You know, uh, health security really is going around and and looking at communities and and trying to figure out how do we improve the health conditions here. So. Um, looking at that, you have housing security, you have food security, you have health security. Um, where can we make a difference? Well, mobile home parks is really a right place in America to come in and, and create housing security. Um, where else can somebody get a 1,500 square foot home or 1,200 square foot home, you know, for $400 a month, really, plus a lot of rent? Hmm. Um, Nowhere. You just can't get it. If you can go live in an apartment for $800 a month, but it's not going to be 1,200 square feet with three bedrooms and have a yard and you can have your dogs, you know, you can park your three cars there, um, one that works and you can do all, all sorts of different things, right? You can't do that anywhere else in America. Um, and so we really focus on building, you know, communities, changing lives and the growing wealth. Um, and we believe that if you do the work on the ground level, create value that residents are ready to pay for and are willing to pay for, then the wealth comes. Um, and we've seen that, and I'm sure you've seen that as well. Uh, but it, it's, it's at the bottom level. It's, that's where it's at. Definitely. Definitely. Tell us about your portfolio. I mean, I know you have one park in Alaska that's three lots. And maybe tell us a little bit about you know, some of your bigger assets and, and kind of what your average pad size is or average lot number is. So right now we have a very mixed portfolio where um, to scale, we've, we've gotten into apartment complexes and we bought, we're buying 200 unit plus size apartment complexes. Uh, we did buy uh, an RV park, um, totally vacant. Well, two, two people on the, the RV park uh, wow. in, a, in a town in Texas. We bought that a couple months ago and, you know, turning that thing around, but um we typically look for 50 lots or, or more, or at least uh, capacity to imp improve. We do want to get to 100. Like you understand, um, when you're scaling, there's a, there's a beautiful point where property management takes care of itself. And it's really, you know, 100 lots or more where you, there's enough revenues there to pay for a good staff. It's hard to operate a place that is 50 units and below um, unless you, you just really luck out with a good property manager. And that for us, is usually a woman who um, can go up and tell people that she's, you know, going to kick them out unless they pay the rent um, and do it in a nice way that they feel appreciated and valued. And when a guy goes up and knocks on the door and says, I'm going to kick you out unless you pay rent, people get really mad. And so we've learned some things about property management. Um, and, you know, there's property manager types that we look for who have that capacity. And um, it's easier, much, much easier on larger properties. Definitely. How can listeners get a hold of you, Sam? 
Uh, they can reach out to me at any time at sam at wildmountaincapital.com. Wild Mountain was a road I lived on in Alaska. And when you're coming up with a team name, it's pretty uh, difficult, challenging. And, and so my wife was like, hey, we live on Wild Mountain Drive. Let's just name it Wild Mountain. I was like, that's pretty cool because we're crazy. Um, we're just, you know, forging a path up the mountain and bringing along everyone who wants to come with us. So happy to talk to anyone about mobile home park investing. Uh, we do a lot of apartments now. Happy to talk to them about that. Uh, the differences, trade-offs, dollar per dollar, mobile home parks, you're going to make more money every day um, and make more difference. But uh, it's easier to get financing for apartment complexes. So it's, you know, there's, um, you know, a future for us where we want to try and put together, you know, the capital to, to help loan, you know, provide loans on uh, mobile home parks and make it easier for folks to do that. But uh, that's that's the future day. That's not today's day. Um, we're stuck like everyone else, you know, calling and hustling and, and uh, so forth. We do not have a fund. Uh, that would be really nice, but uh, that's where we're at. Awesome. Well, Sam, thank you so much for coming on the show and adding value to the listeners. Uh, that's it for today, folks. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Would you like to see Mobile Home Park value add projects in progress? If so, follow us on Instagram at Passive MHP Investing for photos and awesome videos from our recent mobile home park acquisitions. Once again, that's at Passive MHP Investing on Instagram. See you there.